0: Sometimes you gotta ask for help. I'm like totally working myself to the bone and I get so tired and I turn in my work and I'm like, you know what? I did all that and like, and for what? I did my job, but am I like fulfilled? (laughs) I'm just tired now and I could have asked for help. Oh, I should have taken the break. I should have just accepted someone's offer for help.
1: Well, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Rima Dozolanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki okamura wong the other half of our whole host. Our guest
2: this week is Marie Lum. She is a Chinese-American artist working as an assistant director at Disney TV Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself?
0: Hi there. So thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. My name is Marie, as you have said already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see about me. So I grew up in Los Angeles area and I grew up in, you know, a very sheltered area. And I didn't really know anything about, you know, what's outside my bubble. But I knew that I wanted to do art. And so I would always be like, mom, I want to do art, you know, just like you. And my mom is a graphic designer. And I think that's a big part about my art upbringing is that I got to use, you know, Adobe Photoshop at a young age. And I just messed around in it. And she also had this old Wacom tablet from like the 90s. And that's great. And then uh, I finally got out of that bubble and I realized that the art world and the animation world is way bigger than I thought. Yeah. And now I'm working at Disney on nda stuff so i can't say i'm sorry but you know don't want to get fired Damn. by mickey mouse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um,
2: the mouse is, is listening right now
0: he's all, okay you know he's always listening and i know that he's always listening but i will i'll still fight him and i've been around you know bounced around different studios it's been great so yeah okay. yeah thanks for having me
2: The way we like to start off on straight ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them, and let us know why. Ooh, ooh. okay, okay, okay. I'm prepared. Okay, <laughs> you're prepared? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm like preparing, I guess. <laughs> yes, ready yourself because the questions are hot, and there are right answers. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, the okay. Off. okay, all right. You can't right. see
0: me, but I'm like I have my hands up to my brain. Like I'm All preparing right. my brain.
1: <laughs> All right. Cool. I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather constantly deal with Zuko, who is trying to capture you oh, as God. the avatar? Or would you rather deal with Team Rocket, who is constantly trying to steal your Pokemon? Oh,
0: God. I love both of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard because I can argue for both sides. Okay.
2: Mm, thingy, thinking, thinking. All right. What's the argument for both sides? I just love
0: Zuko so much. He's
2: so cool.
0: (laughs) Okay, and then then the other side, Team Rocket is so hilarious. Okay, I'm going to go with Team Rocket because Zuko's great. I would love to meet him, but that's stressful. Okay, he's trying to kill me. Team Rocket is funny. They have costumes and they have a little jingle. You know, they pose and they say it every time and you just get to watch it. It's like theater. And so I'm going to (laughs) say Team Rocket and, you know... We'll have, like, this fun little rivalry thing going on. Like, they're not trying to, like, burn my face off. But, you know, I would still like to meet Zuko. Oh, this is so hard, but I'm going to go with Team Rocket. I don't think (laughs) I can handle the stress. (laughs) (laughs) With with Zuko, you'd be like, oh, no, don't catch me. Yeah, I'd be like, (laughs) Like, oh, no. It's not like I want to be, like, your friend or anything because you're so cool. Uh, um, Uh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That is my final answer. Slams That's fair, the button. Team rocket. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep, 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 great. Yep. <laughs> Love
2: that. Uh, that was hard. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's get another one in. Hopefully, it won't all be too hard. Okay. Would you rather be an animal in the world of Kung Fu Panda or a Bionicle in oh! the world of Bionicle? Oh! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Well, those one like physically hurt you.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I love both so much, so so much. I feel my like the two halves of my brains are like punching each other right now. Ooh, it's <laughs> so hard. Like Kung Fu Panda. Just as a side note, is such an influence over my work. T- like, oh, like I study those fight scenes like crazy. They're so good. It's incredibly I choreographed. Know. It's so good, and I love Tigress so much. She's so cool. But bionicles, my heart is calling for that. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a bionicle, like and surf on some lava for literally no reason. Like it's oh, that world so is so cool. ridiculous. It just it makes sense for some reason, I guess. I'll be a bionicle. You know, when I went when I was young, I was like, when I grow up, I'm gonna be a bionicle. I'm gonna be like, just gonna one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, that one was a really hard one. <laughs>
2: What would be, okay, if you were in Bionicle, you know they have the, like, the masks that give them power? Uh-huh. Which, which one would be your element? Oh, gosh. I would
0: definitely color? definitely be ice, because Oh, yeah. I, nice. My favorite was Kopaka, which was like this quiet ice guy, and I was like, he's cool. Like, he understands the assignment. Every time he's not gonna fail us, so I would love to be his friend. <laughs>
2: Slash Wait, date you, him. So do you do you want to be him? You know, it'd be like a cool, competent person who's like, I know what's going on. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 I would love to be that if I had the option to make myself that way. And also be his friend slash date Kopaka. I will do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am his and I'm dating. Yeah. Yeah. And we're best friends. Yeah, and we're best friends.
0: This is the this is my ideal world. Um, okay got it. yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is so great i also just find it amazing oh, like that you love bionicles i feel like that's not that it's obscure but you don't hear it a lot and i'm glad <laughs> that like i'm glad you're here being like yes bionicles oh, all the God. way <laughs> i
2: feel like a lot of people liked bionicles but they were so like there's not very much content of it God, yeah there i was remember
0: the comics watching the movies yeah the movies i had the toys yes toys yeah, yeah. They had this long-running comic series that provides all the lore. It was a lot of comics. My brother had all of them, and I would just steal them. And my grandma, she would find the ones that he missed, and she would go out into the world and find the comics that he missed.
1: Well, thanks so much for playing in between with us. Uh, Hopefully, the questions weren't too hard. Hopefully, you had some fun.
0: Yep, I had fun going at war with myself.
1: Can you describe your role as an assistant director at Disney TV Animation?
0: This is such a fun position because I get to work so closely with the director and, you know, supervising producers and the showrunners. And, you know, it's a lot of going to meetings. Honestly, that's like a lot of the job (laughs) is like going to pitch meetings. Sometimes I get to go to design meetings. Of course, I, I go to like table reads and stuff like that. And I'm basically, you know, it's what the title says, assisting the director. And, you know, we have like the small team of four people with like, you know, production coordinator and then the director and then there's me. And then, you know, there's one other person too. That is also in the same position as me. So we're all like a little Mm -hmm. pod. And we, you know, pretty much oversee an episode at a time. Well, you know. More like five episodes at a time, if I'm being realistic. <laughs> we just make the edits that are needed. The showrunner comes and meets with us and and also the supervising director. There's all these titles that they're throwing out. But basically, we're all just looking at this episode during animatic form, maybe, or even in pitch form. And we're like, oh, maybe we can change this, do that. Maybe during like the editing, they will change the timing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what's really fun about this job is that I get to see a lot of the animation production pipeline that I never really got to see before. Because while doing boards, you know, it's like nose to grindstone. I'm just drawing, drawing, drawing every single day. I'm kind of just in my own little world in like my cubicle. Maybe I get the script outline and then I turn to my board and that's all I really see. But in my position, you know, I get to go to all these, you know, design reviews and everyone else's pitches and, you know, all of this stuff. So... I'm really enjoying this position and it's like my first time in this kind of position where I get to oversee a lot of like other things outside of the storyboarding scope and it's great because I love learning about you know all these different things that I'm not necessarily like quote unquote part of it's a lot of work obviously because you know there's it's like very fast paced because it's like oh we need to ship out this episode on Friday And it's Monday, so we need to make, like, a bunch of changes before Thursday. So get them in to the server on Wednesday afternoon. And so that gives you, like, you know, two days and a half, maybe, to get all this work done. And, you know, I love it, even though it's so fast-paced and it's a lot of work, but it's great.
1: No, that's awesome. I think that's such a cool position to be in. And Mm -hmm. the fact that you get to see so much more of the pipeline, as you mentioned, compared to being a storyboard artist. Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very wonderful because I think like the more you know about the pipeline, the more you know how to make somebody's job easier down the road or how to maybe streamline or make it easier Mm -hmm. on production.
0: That's like the biggest part. I think maybe one of the most important parts is learning how to work in a way that will definitely like help the editors and also the storyboard artists and also the writers so we don't have to keep, you know, making changes, changes from the ground up. It's more like we'll make changes that are at the end and it's just for us and we don't have to like burden someone else. And mm-hmm. now that I know that, like as a board artist, I can be like, oh, OK, so this is how I should do my boards a little bit better in the future. Mm. So I don't, you know, make someone in the editing bay go like, oh, God this is such a difficult episode (laughs) because Marie is so difficult, you know. (laughs) Mm.
1: (laughs) To kind of keep going deeper into your career, your first like in-house full-time job was working as a storyboard revisionist for uh, Cartoon Network's Craig of the Creek, which honestly is an amazing show. I've been like watching it recently. It's so great.
2: Oh, yay. It's the best. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So how was that experience? And how did that experience prepare you for when you transitioned to being a storyboard artist on Infinity Train?
0: So, oh my goodness. senior year. People are like, start applying to jobs. And you know, that's smart. Yeah. So, like the latter half of my senior year, as I was also working on, you know, final projects and just trying to get through classes, you know, survive. I was applying and applying. And I feel like I went to so many interviews and I did so many board tests and just applications that just never, you know, that never made it. And I was so tired. And every single time I was like, oh, man, like, I'm so bummed about this. I didn't get this job. I was just at the end of my rope of applying. And then one of my friends, he actually was on the show and he was like, oh, I recommended you and they're going to send you an email. You know, you can do a board test. And I was like, oh, another board test. And I was just (laughs) so over it. And so I saw the board test document i was like oh this is great like what a great show what ah my energy and so i just like breezed through this board test and i was like no high hopes i'm gonna send this in i'm not even gonna think about it because the last like 20 board tests i did i was like oh i hope i hope i pray i hope oh my goodness (laughs) i'm so hoping and this one i was like you know what i'm not gonna think about it i'm gonna send it in no hopes because i'm probably not gonna hear back and I was actually behind like a table at WonderCon. So I was tabling in Artist Alley at WonderCon and I was sitting there so tired. I, You know, it was at the end of senior year. So I was like, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm going to take a nap under the table. And then I got an email notification and it turns out it was from the line producer and she was like, hey, you want a job? And I was like, what? <laughs> I, me? Are you offering me a job? Like, you didn't even interview me. And she was like, yeah, they liked your test. They want you to come on as a revisionist. And I was like, what? And I got up from the table and I started screaming because I didn't know what to do. I started screaming in like in the middle of WonderCon. In the middle, in the middle, of, middle of Yeah, in the middle of the day, everyone's like, well, well, are you okay? What happened? Everyone gathers around and I'm like, I got a job at Cartoon Network. And everyone's like,
2: "Yay!" Yeah! Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, like my cheering. gosh. That was when I got it. And I obviously I was just like getting out of school And so I had no experience, you know, in a studio setting. I had no experience as a revisionist. And actually, the day after I walked the graduation walk to get my diploma, that was on Sunday, on Mother's Day. The Monday after was my first day at the studio. So it was just like no break. Just like, you know, go, go, go. You know, I get there obviously, I have no idea what's going on. Um, I started on the same day actually one of my closest friends started too. Her name is Ashley and we were both just like, you know we were running around the <laughs> studio just like looking at all the you know free snacks that they offer and grabbing all the free snacks and we were like, wow we work here you know wow and we' our cubes are next to each other we can throw paper at each other you know all day. just crazy stuff like that and it was so much fun and I learned so much. At that job, because I was there mm, maybe almost for two years. I think Mm. I had transitioned to Infinity Train before I hit my two year mark on Craig of the Creek. But I had, you know, so many great supervising directors and that, you know, helped me along my journey because, again, I had no idea what I was doing. Honestly, I know how to draw, but that's about it. You know, like my boarding skills and my filmmaking knowledge was very rudimentary but the great thing is that as soon as i got on there everyone was very you know nurturing of my skills and they understood that you're you're new you know you're not going to know everything and you know everyone has to start somewhere and so that was really encouraging that people were like you know we're going to teach you and it's fine like everyone has a growing pains period even you know skilled veterans in the industry they get on a new show it's gonna be a month or so before they really get it you know you're gonna Mm -hmm. make like Mm -hmm. two or three boards before you really start getting who the characters are or you know the filmmaking language that the showrunner wants or you know your writing style if it is a board driven show
2: i think that's uh, kind of a good thing to keep in mind of like even veterans like have a transitional period like into a new show like even if the styles are similar or you know if the IPs like a spin-off or something there's going to be like a, a transitional period. was it like that for you when you went from being like a revisionist on Craig of the Creek to a full-time artist like storyboard artist on Infinity train?
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so on Infinity train I started on the end of book three. This was even before the the show even aired at all. So, you know, we were Mm. they were working on the books for like the show aired and they were like, "Okay, you're going to be on the end of book three. We're going to be doing a book four. So I had no idea who any of these characters are. I didn't know the story at all. Besides, you know, the pilot that had came out a couple of years ago. Mm. And also, yeah, it was my first boarding job. Like I had done one board on Craig of the Creek. It was a little rough because you know that was really like oh gosh that's my first time doing a board and it turned out better than i remember i watched the episode and i'm like oh ha wow these jokes are actually funny i guess i was funny you know <laughs> <laughs> i guess i'm a funny person no 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 anyway um so <laughs> i get on infinity train and it's a totally different t- tone like completely Uh, You know, Craig of the Creek is like, oh, these fun kids are running around in the woods, you know, getting dirty, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. eating mud and, you know, like throwing (laughs) bugs everywhere. And then you Mm -hmm. get to Infinity Train and it's, you know, geared toward a definitely older audience. We have some crazy monster things running around and, you know, these very, like, emotional, deeper themes we tried to tackle and it came out great. Yeah, that transitional period, it took me, like, three boards maybe to really get into it. Like when I think about it, my best boards are definitely like, like near the end of my run. And you know, like the each, each season is 10 episodes and we switch off between episodes. So Mm. I got maybe like five boards to do and my better ones were definitely at the end of that. And I'm just like, no, I just started to get the, (laughs) like what the tone is and how these characters are, but I'm already ending. And so that was fun, but it's tough, you know, to make that transition. And that's totally normal. Like everyone making the transition from revisionist to board artist is going to have like a bit of a time to warm up to that. And it might take, you know, a good amount of time and just know that that's fine because that happens to everyone.
1: Something I actually kind of want to comment on, because like looking at your career and again, you're still fairly young in the industry and like you're like you have like a few years under your belt. But from looking at it, it seems like you've had like a, an amazing steady climb in your career from like from student to revisionist. And after you became a revisionist, you jumped into your first storyboarding job. And now after your first storyboarding job, you jumped into an assistant director position. Do you see yourself keep going on a steady climb and maybe after this assistant director position, jumping into a uh, episodic director position?
0: We'll see. <laughs> I would <laughs> I I want to be a director just to say that I'm a director, because that's cool, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Also, I had an intern. This is so ridiculous. My reasoning for everything is ridiculous. But as an intern, I was an intern at Warner Brothers Animation um, my junior year of college, and that was great. Mm -hmm. And I went to the studio store, and they had this hat that said, like, film director on it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. So I bought it, and I wore it. And people were like, you're not a director. And I was like, you know what, one day I will be. And so it's like, you know, I would climb out of mostly spite, you know, that kind of thing, (laughs) I will get there because I'm like, you know what, you didn't believe in me,
1: but now I'm here, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Wait, curiosity, is that why you also made that storyboarder hat that you sell?
0: Yeah, yeah. Cause I'm just like, you know what, we deserve one too. Yeah, Aww. and it just branched nice. out from there because people kept requesting more and more titles, and I was like, okay,
1: I love that. But yeah, it's incredible.
0: Like it would be fun, I think, to be a director and to you know have a very hands-on overseeing of a show, and you know the voice of the show. You know, working closely with the showrunner and being like, I will make your vision true. Like, trust me, you know, I can do it, <laughs> and that'd be super fun. But I'm also like. the responsibilities is a lot (laughs) like you're gonna I would be in meetings all day oh man even that just that I'd be like oh my gosh meetings all day like I love (laughs) being able to sit in a chair and be like I don't have any meetings today I'm just gonna work on my boards nice and easy I'm at battle again with myself thinking like do I want to keep climbing Or do I want to sit comfortably where I am? Because I do love where I am. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with just being like, you know what? I don't want to be, like, the best of the best sometimes. I just want to be comfortable and happy. (laughs) Mm. So I'll figure that out later. Maybe after the run I have on this job, I'll be like, do I want to just go back to boards? You know, maybe I'd just be fine with just being a revisionist. I mean, not just being a revisionist, you know, but I just, like... Mm -hmm. I loved being a revisionist because I also could take it nice and easy at times.
1: No, that's great. I honestly, I think it's a big possibility for you to become a episode director, just because again, your career already is, is already so amazing. I'm just excited to see where you keep going from here.
0: I awesome.
1: <laughs> But to shift gears, uh, you're actually a co-leader of the Deaf, Disabled, and uh, Neurodiverse group within the Animation Guild 839. We actually interviewed your co-leader, Brian. In a previous episode, but if you can talk about it, what are some of the goals for the DD and V group within the union?
0: So this is my favorite part of my job, and it's not even (laughs) part of my job. (laughs) So so basically, if you get a job at a studio that is a union shop, which means that they signed on to, you know, allow their employees to be part of the union, which I hope everyone will allow that, you know. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. (laughs) So you, you know, get the job, you're, you automatically become a part of the union and the union basically just protects workers against terrible working conditions and, you know, making sure you get paid overtime, you have health insurance, dental, optical, which is great. And so within the union, we have committees and groups that are formed by, you know, union members. It can be anyone. Like if, if you, even if you just joined the industry and you're like, I want to start a committee. Um, You can bring that up with the president. And then he's like, Yeah, let's start a committee. And so that's what I did. And I was like, Hey, we have all these committees. You know, we have like the family committee, which is support, you know, help support people with families and, you know, making sure that the work hours, you know, like aren't abusive and Mm -hmm. um, they can spend time with their family and they also get like good health insurance for their family, et cetera, et cetera, which is um, Mm -hmm. what a different committee does. And then there's also like, the Young Workers Committee, mm. our committee, uh, DDNV, is basically we are pushing for a bunch of different things. The first one, first and foremost, is help leveling the playing field for everyone in terms of accessibility. Mm. And so mm. the industry definitely is not accessible. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. This is reality. You know, this is how the world is And that's the reality we face, is that accessibility is often thought of an afterthought, like an add-on, like a DLC for anything. And it's not. It needs to be built Mm -hmm. into something from the ground up because accessibility goes all the way down to like the foundations of whatever you're building. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the animation industry, you know, we have these crazy work hours. Um, People pull overtime all the time without being paid. You know, even just you're sitting in a chair and you're slouching forward drawing all day. And that can be really painful for some people. And some people need the ability to, you know, lay down, stretch. Sometimes deadlines get really, really hard. But deadlines are not worth more than a person's health is basically mm-hmm. the whole thing. And, uh, you know, some studios, there have been horrible experiences where people, you know, Are in the hospital or recovering from surgery which is what i had to go through and Mm -hmm. a production is like yeah like you're recovering or you're in the hospital or you're just in pain but we have a deadline to hit and we told the executives we need to hit these deadlines so we need you to work still and it's like ah that's not gonna work you should be able to find someone to cover me you know because that's how it should be you know If I, Mm -hmm. you know, am in pain or just cannot execute my job, it shouldn't be a punishment that I can't do that because it's not it's, you know, it's out of my control. Also, it's just so difficult for deaf artists and animators to get into the industry because the studio either won't be willing to, you know, have an interpreter. They'll be like, you need to bring your own. And that's expensive and unrealistic for some people or, Mm -hmm. you know, closed captioning is it's very possible to do closed captioning live, you know, within a writer's room, too. And they'll be like, well, we don't have the equipment for that. And even just getting an interview and going through an interview can be very difficult for anyone that is, you know, deaf, disabled, neurodiverse, because there are these strict things like, oh, you need to keep eye contact. You have to have a bubbly personality. You know, you have to have this, this and this. And that doesn't, you know, that kind of expectation is not about the job more about like, you know, Oh, we base it off your personality. But for a lot of people, like you can't keep eye contact the whole time. And that shouldn't, you shouldn't be punished for that. Anyway, these are just a couple problems that we're trying to tackle and people are aware of things and, you know, awareness, awareness, awareness. Everyone is aware of these things at this point. So what we definitely want to do is not just like, we want to make you aware of it. We want to take action. I'm currently like working with artist management and producers and studio executives to be like, we need to do this, this, and this. And you need to think about, you know, I have a whole talk about accessibility and stuff that I give them. And just, you know, let's do a portfolio day. Let's invite, like, let's do a collaboration with Exceptional Minds, which is uh, a school for autistic artists. Mm. It's great. And Cartoon Network has actually done a collaboration with them. And then I've talked to Signing Animation, which is a deaf led um, studio. And I'm like, why don't you guys join the union if you want? And they're like, oh, we didn't even know there was a union. And now they're <laughs> in talks of, you know, becoming part of the union and that'll open yeah. up more opportunities and stuff like that. So just trying to take, go from like the awareness era to like actually right. taking action era. Yeah just talking about it, you know, that kind of thing.
2: I think that's a good point of like, now that everybody is aware, we can start to like take steps forward together because I think just trying to like take action right away or like only ever staying aware is like, if you take action too soon, people feel like you're, I don't know, infringing upon them, which you're not, but mm-hmm. in order to like get acceptance from both sides, right? Like mm-hmm. raise awareness and then take action concise actions like you know including signing animation i think that's like a huge big like great step of getting more people in just like integrating the the industry
0: yeah i'm like super mm-hmm. excited about that you know there's also this thing about like positive representation within you know media in general but also animated media mm. i talk with uh, another artist and she's a deaf artist actually she goes to otis college of art and design and she says like, oh, growing up, I didn't, you know, have someone within animation, which is, you know, what she loved so much animation, you know, we love animation so much that we're working in it. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I love animation so much, but there is never, you know, a deaf character portrayed accurately and respectfully. And she like, I really wanted that. And I never got it. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, see, that's, like we need that's what we're trying to do is, you know, you know, by signing on um, signing animation haha, Pun. um, to the union. Also, <laughs> we can work with them more and all of their artists will be part of the union. And we can all stay in touch and, you know, just bringing that kind of representation. And she was like, yeah, that's that was the worst part of it was growing up seeing what I loved wasn't for me. And. Like growing up as a kid, she was like animation is what I loved so much, but I couldn't ever be part of it because it was like told to her basically that, you know, there's not going to be deaf characters that are represented of her. And also like a lot of movies, you know, she couldn't watch immediately because there's no closed captioning. And so kids were talking about these new movies that she wanted to watch so bad, but she could not for a long time growing up until like you know a dvd came out or something like that and that was really painful for her too and so mm-hmm. she's also like oh i want to do this this and this and you know like make media more representative in a better place and you know we all know that representation matters so much and mm-hmm. and also bad representation is worse than no representation and so we're pushing for that positive representation that will be giving that really nice experience for all kids who want to be mm-hmm. in animation.
1: No, that I think that's very very true because I think even growing up myself, like uh there's more you know Latinx content now. There wasn't a lot when I was growing up. There was a couple, but I can't tell you how excited I got when I did see a character that was a brown kid mm-hmm. and being like, "Hey, that's me." So the fact that like your the friend that you're talking about was feeling that way is like, yeah, that's a sh- that's a shady ass feeling. And it's like I'm glad that the DD and V is trying to make an effort to make more of that inclusion. And on the topic of inclusion, something that we also like talking about on Straight Ahead is, you know, our background, our cultural upbringing. And for you, does your background as a Chinese American play a role in that?
0: Yeah, so I've always wanted to work on something that would, you know, represent me as a Chinese American. And Mm -hmm. it's so cool. You know, I watched that you know, that bow short, the Pixar bow short. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like Mm -hmm. I relate to this so much. Like, that's like my mom, you know, Mm -hmm. like I really want to make something like that. And, you know, just seeing like any Asian American experience on screen is always so fulfilling and cool. Actually, Infinity Train, we have, you know, two Asian American or Canadian Asian leads and I thought that was super cool. And the voice actors are, you know, Japanese and Korean. And I thought that was so awesome. And I was like, wow, like I get to work on this show where there's like Asian leads. And like, I, you know, I don't see that often. And there's more and more coming out now, which is really great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like our cultural sensibility is always, you know, get into the work that we make and whether it be like conscious or like subconsciously. And I think that's really awesome. And I'm, I'm just glad that now we have like, you know, we're still working on it. But like the workplace is diversifying. And, you know, hopefully like we're, we're going to be hiring more and more people um, from a variety of backgrounds and cultures. And yeah, I just hope that one day I get to work on something like Bao. And that would
1: be great. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I love exactly. that. That's something I also wish for. So, something I also kind of want to talk about is that kind of going back in time, because the interesting thing about working in animation or entering the industry is that all of us come from different paths of life. Some of us go to art school, some of us go to public school, some of us don't even go to school. And I just kind of want to ask how was your experience attending Otis College of Art and Design, and how did that benefit you in your journey to the animation industry, if at all? All
0: right. Big question. <laughs> <laughs> the big honking question. I would say I learned so much more in high school than I did really? in college. Let me tell you. In high school, I had this amazing art teacher who provided us Adobe products out of his own pocket, <gasps> which is, oh wow. you know, that's, that's great. He just loved us so much. He was like, I want to provide for you. The teachers don't Death
2: make that thing. much money. <laughs> I know.
0: And this was, you know, before CC, obviously. And, but he was like, all right. And I'm going to like help you learn how to use Adobe Flash and Adobe Photoshop. And that was so, so important because like, even though I messed around with it as a kid, there's a difference between like actually really learning how to utilize a program versus <laughs> just messing around with it. And mm-hmm. so I learned all that in high school. And that was just like, all like from freshman year to senior year in high school i learned all of that and that's great and then he also was like here's some free online things you can watch on youtube that can you know help you learn how to use these programs and you know how to animate and stuff and that was also super great and mm-hmm. so that's where i learned a lot of like my animation sensibilities and stuff and then i went to art school <laughs> and cost a million dollars a year and Mm -hmm. you know i learned a lot in freshman year but that was foundational year at my school so we learned Mm -hmm. color theory we learned life drawing we learned how to draw you know you know an apple with like oil pastels that kind of thing a very classical art school training And I think that's where it stops for me. (laughs) And the thing is, I could have learned all of those things online for free or gone to, you know, any community classes and stuff like that. Mm. I would have totally learned the same thing. After that, I went into this program called Digital Media and it was very, very rough. There were a lot of things about it that I can explain about, but, you know, I'm just going to say there were not very many animation classes. In fact, there was one out of like 50 (laughs) classes, right? So the Mm -hmm. digital media track was geared way more around motion graphics, which is, you know, this is not a dig at motion graphics at all. I love motion graphics, but I'm not very good at it. (laughs) And and I wanted to go into more of the animation side, but I ended up taking a lot more motion graphics classes, which is, you know, After Effects, which is Mm -hmm. helpful. You know, I learned After Effects but I really wanted Mm -hmm. to sharpen my animation skills. And this school was like, yeah, we have an animation program. Sign up, you know, sign up, give us your money. And I get there and there's one or two or three, maybe three classes that are about animation. And that was about it. And I ended up taking the same three classes every semester from <laughs> sophomore year to senior year and i ended up ta-ing, TA-ing for the same three classes <laughs> so as you can tell it was not good when i was there anyway i had a lot of complaints i definitely let my grievances out when i was there i can't believe that they like don't hate me you know because I was like, you know what? The animation program is bad. Like I had such an awful time here. <laughs> and apparently they've improved their animation program because now I go back to talk and all that stuff. And I still say the same thing. I'm like, I did not have a good time here. And I don't know how they <laughs> don't hate me still. But um I hear like the students are like, oh yeah, like now we have like light tables and oh. we have. Way more they animation. They have light
1: tables before. No,
0: I okay. They had nothing. They shoved us. They shoved me. Actually, I became what was it? They I became the elected leader of the quote miscellaneous kids is what they called us. Miscellaneous wow. kids. Me. I was doing animation. Someone else, you know, like doing game design. Someone was doing like ah. film. Film. Like film students were miscellaneous kids. They had no place for us. And so we were thrown in a basement and (laughs) they were like, you know what? There's some, uh, there's some like camera equipment there. Like here's uh, another thing. You know, if you want to use the sound booth, maybe, and here's a table. And so it was a little rough, but now I know, but now apparently there's like a whole animation thing. They rehauled the whole program, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just glad that it went from, like, I was the only animation student, like, in my class, pretty much. Before me, in the class before me, there were, like, two animation students. And now there's, like, you know, 30 animation students. And so the animation program is starting to ramp up a little bit. Mm. But for me, personally, I had a rough time at art school. And that's fine, but it just goes to show you don't need art school. You can totally learn everything outside of that because I just used YouTube and random online articles to learn how to storyboard and had friends, you know, help me out Mm -hmm. a little bit here and there. But, you know, wherever you come from, as long as you have have internet connection, look stuff up on YouTube, it'll be fine.
1: (laughs) No, that's great. I think I have a couple of things. One, Miscellaneous Kids just sounds like an indie bad name. Yeah! (laughs) and and two is uh i'm glad that you that you mentioned that because personally i like that i went to san jose state and i had a great time and i learned a lot like i learned a lot my foundation at san jose state but while i was there i knew classmates or had classmates that that program or the way it was structured just wasn't for them it didn't click and for MODIS, it just looks like they didn't have the proper stuff to teach because i know it's more of an illustration school like i know the people that i did know that went there like i think they went the illustrative comic route and so i think they got a lot out of it but didn't Mm -hmm. look like they had an animation proper animation program set up for you to thrive Mm -hmm. but i do think like yeah sometimes and that's art schools it's fucking expensive so spaz yeah i just want to put it out there that you can be self-taught you can take some online courses or online classes like there's so many industry professionals are constantly doing online workshops trying to pass on the knowledge that they've learned and like you mentioned just looking up simple youtube videos kind of like getting a hang of it there's so many people on youtube that are, are trying to pass on their knowledge as well and just kind of finding out what the right path is for you. Nothing is perfect. Because I think that the thing that you might miss out just kind of doing YouTube videos and like tutorials is that you might not have a lot of you might not build the network connections or meet people to kind of like help you along your journey, mm-hmm. if if that makes sense. But like then again, like some people might not work in a in an environment where you're learning all different parts of the pipeline you just want to focus on the specific thing cuz you know this is what you want to do i don't care about learning visdev i want a storyboard so it's like there's a lot of give and take and finding out what works best for you is like part of that journey into into the industry
0: yeah exactly like everyone's different and when people ask like oh like how do you get a job in the industry it's so it's so complicated because it's like uh you know everyone's journey is so different and it's it's really boils down. It's so difficult to give this answer because I wish I wish that I could give like a streamlined answer about like, oh, you got to do this, this and this. And then this is how you get into the industry, like uh-huh. not really how it works anymore. Maybe that's how it worked maybe like 10, 20 years ago. But now it's like, you know, it's a winding path that maybe you'll go to art school and you'll make connections there, which is actually the one part of Otis that I really liked is people I met there and my friends. Like you might go to art school or you might go to community college or you might go to just like a different university and get your major in something completely different. Like I know some people that have gotten, you know, like their philosophy majors and they're working in animation now. So, you know, it's all it's all different and just figuring out what works for you.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Well put. So another thing I kind of want to ask about, because the thing that like I feel is also very ingrained in the animation space is conventions. So you have lots of experience tabling at conventions and selling merchandise online. When and why did you start selling at conventions? And on top of that, do you also think it's important for artists to kind of have that secondary income where they're not just relying on their day job?
0: So (laughs) I love anime. (laughs) So that's how I got started going to conventions. So Let's see. My first time I tabled was Anime Expo, I think 2013, maybe 2014. And my friend just was like, oh, you want to like table with me? Like we can do a table together. Um, And so me and two other friends split a table. And from then on, I was like, wow, this is great. Like I can sell almost anything. Like I could sell whatever I want. It just kind of snowballed from there. Mm. And then, of course, now I have like inventory of a lot of things, just like leftover stock. So I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, throw up a uh, an online store so I can get rid of some stock. It's a lot of fun, actually, because you also it's like another thing where you meet other artists at other tables. Like you'll have your table neighbors and you'll get to know them. And be are like, oh, what do you do? It's Like, oh, you know, like I, I do conventions full time. Like some people do like 30 conventions a year, which is Mm -hmm. crazy that's so many conventions or someone will be like oh i work in the games industry you know and i just do this on the side and that's really cool to meet like so many different artists and of different backgrounds and different industries and the the question about like having a separate income it can be like for me i mostly go to conventions so i can see people and say hi you know um and of course (laughs) like making money is really nice (laughs) um (laughs) but like for a lot of people as i said like that is their sole um income is going to conventions and you know for a lot of other people it's just a side thing it's hard to say because everyone's situation is different but you know again the animation industry can be a little like too much less like like one for a couple months you'll have a job and then you have to transition to a different job and sometimes that can take you know a couple weeks You know, maybe months Mm -hmm. if you didn't have anything lined up and it's always good to, you know, have savings. And um, a great thing about cons is that, you know, that'll give me some extra like like an extra layer of protection if I, Mm -hmm. you know, don't find a job for a couple months. And that happens to a lot of people because, you know, shows begin and shows have an end unless, you know, you're on a show with like 50 seasons or something. But being prepared and, you know, conventions has definitely helped me out with that. Um, so mm-hmm. if anyone is interested in doing conventions, I say go for it because it's fun, <laughs> even though it's stressful.
1: So one of the other things I kind of want to get into is the thing that you're, I guess, known for your icon, the your little puka noodles logo on your, oh, uh, on your Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> what inspired you to create the world of Barrowdale Village Plaza? Like, was it your love of food? Or did you think a bread baker would be a fun, interesting premise to explore? Or was it more something you wanted to talk about? Like, having, like, Asian American characters? Uh, and can you describe it for, like, the audience that might not be aware what it is? But I think most people, if they're listening to this one, they know they know the bread baker. <laughs>
0: so, this is such a funny answer because it's not, like, cool or anything. <laughs> Um, Okay, well, let me explain the premise without spoiling anything, because I've been making a comic low-key, and also now I'm making a game, I guess, I don't know what happened there.
2: Oh, yeah, your RPG maker.
0: (laughs) I have no idea what happened there, but anyway, so I have these five characters, and the main character is Biscotti, she has like, she has the red hair and she bakes bread, and Basically, I guess the story is she is like a very like strong willed, hardworking, independent character, but she's, you know, very independent to a fault, just like me. Like, I hate asking for help, even when I really, really need help. And so she has that same thing, because that's what a lot of um char- like, you know, original characters OCs become. They just become you in a different way, parts you know, of you. Yeah. It's just part of you and they have all of your little, you know, little issues and stuff like that. But, you know, that's what makes them spicy. Yeah. So it's just her basically working to learn how to ask for help. She'll go on this whole journey with all her friends trying to figure out, you know, a mystery, Ooh. something <laughs> she's been trying to figure out pretty much like her whole life. Um, and it's a really big thing. And, uh, you know, she doesn't want to ask for help. A lot of the time, but in the end, it's like power of friendship. God, sometimes you got to ask for help and it's okay to ask for help. And I have this problem in my professional life too. Like I'll be working, working, working and people will be like, oh, do you need help? Like I can, you know, help you out, like take some scenes and it's totally fine. And I'll be like, no, I can do it. And then it turns out I'm like totally working myself to the bone and I get so tired and I turn in my work and I'm like, (laughs) you know what? I did all that. And like, and for what? I did my job. But am I like fulfilled? (laughs) Um, I'm just tired now. And I could have asked for help. And then, you know, you have to roll on to the next couple scenes. And I'm like, oh, I should have taken the break. I should have just accepted someone's offer for help. And they, you know, they were like, oh, it's not you're not a burden. And so that's kind of the same like lesson that Me and my poor little character are both learning. Um, But, you know, it's five friends. They live in this little town, this little marketplace town, and they all run their own stores. And they're all named after some kind of food or something, you know, for some reason. I thought that's cool.
1: Actually, on that topic, (laughs) I wanted to ask you about your naming convention because I I love it. I love uh, biscotti. I think one of them is miso. uh, Miso. uh, Basil. Yeah. Or Basil. The way Gordon Ramsay likes to. say No, it. that's
0: wrong. It's basil. Gordon Ramsay <laughs> basil. is wrong. He can fight me on that one. I don't care.
1: <laughs> but the reason I like it because like it gives me such a. I don't know if this was go- what you were going for, but like it's. I think it's one of the reasons why I love Akira Toriyama's work is his naming conventions oh, for his yeah. characters. Yeah. like for me, like just the naming wise, like ah, uh, gives me very like Akira Toriyama vibes, and I love it.
0: <laughs> exactly what you said. Like I love like you know how. People are named after food or like dairy (laughs) products or like their rice or something. That's so crazy. You know, I'm like, like, oh, that's so fun. Like, because everyone can connect over food. Like food Mm -hmm. is such a universal thing. And you see someone's name is food. You're like, oh, that's great. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah. So I made this character randomly while I was at Otis. Um, I made biscotti first. And I just drew her and I was like haha wouldn't this be funny if I like got attached to this character that'd be so funny
2: and then it turns out yeah, that <laughs> never <did>. happens yeah.
0: <laughs> and it turns out I did I just I drew her exactly as I've always drawn her like I don't I've never changed like any of my characters designs like maybe they've evolved a little bit like with small like tweaks in their shape language maybe but for the most part your style
1: also evolves as well yeah. as you get older yeah
0: yeah yeah And so it's just, you know, I just made her because I was sitting in the library between classes and I was bored. Yeah, I never like intended for it to be like a big thing too. Mm -hmm. like, I never intended for these characters to be like part of my life the way they are now. And I never like set out to tell a story. But then it just so happens that 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 happened organically, I guess, because as I said earlier, your characters just become you.
2: that's amazing. I love that. That's great. That's good. (laughs) OCs are so important.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very good content. So this has honestly been such a wonderful journey with you and talking to you. And like uh, you gave so many honest opinions, honest answers and like just wonderful like nuggets of advice throughout this entire session. I guess the thing I want to ask now is that is there any final advice for those that you would give that want to pursue a career in the animation industry? The
0: most important thing for me, and something that I wish that I, I could go back in time and tell younger me no matter how much you love your job, you really have to love your health more. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's, of course, it, it, in like any arts industry, you know, there's this mindset of like, oh, you're a creative, your passion, your love for your work, your work, 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 work. work like mm-hmm. burn yourself out burnout isn't real you know even if you do That's you're so not real. you know you have to keep going send yourself to the hospital for your work because you can't sleep and i hate that mindset <laughs> so much mm-hmm. uh because we always hear the awful stories of animators and creatives just working themselves so hard and then they die at a really young age And it's like, I'm sure that they had so much more they wanted to give us and like so many more stories they wanted to tell us with their work. It's just that the work ethic, not really the work ethic, but just like the idea of like the creative, you know, the romanticized idea of the creative that it's always, you know, they're always working so hard and overworking themselves to achieve like greatness and stuff like that. And in the end. If you don't have your health, you can't keep creating. That's just the reality of it. If you don't have, if you work yourself so hard, there's going to be a time when your body snaps and Mm -hmm. you won't be able to tell the stories that you want to anymore. And that's going to be heartbreaking. There was a point where my doctor sat me down and he was like, you know, you're really going to have to take a good hard look at what you're doing to yourself and Mm -hmm tell yourself, do you still like, can you still work in this industry? Are you still going to be a creative? You might have to stop entirely or you're going to die. And I was like, oh God, like I never thought about it that way. But yeah, like I might not be able to work in animation anymore because Mm -hmm. it's between me or what I want to do. And then I realized, you know what? It's actually just like me versus me right now because I'm spending way too much like energy And of my health unnecessarily and i just need to reevaluate how i work because when you're young and spry you're like oh i'm invincible you know Mm -hmm. i can stay up you know for three days you know it takes a very real world toll on your body and hearing that from my doctor was one of the most painful things i've ever heard in my entire life and it still like haunts me and so take care of yourself Be healthy, you know, get your vitamin D, <laughs> you know, drink, you know, go outside, drink emergency, exercise <laughs> and on the weekends, you know, do whatever you want. Like if you want to draw cool, but, you know, don't feel guilty about, you know, sitting in front of the TV and watching Netflix all day because you earned it.
1: No, I think that was that's very well put. I think that's some real talk that I think when you are are on the younger side, you, you just want to keep working because you feel like you have a lot to prove. and. I remember when I was interning at Pixar, one of my mentors, uh, BKO, shout out to BKO, he put it in a way where like he held up his like drawing hand. It's like because um, he saw some of us were kind of like overworking ourselves, and he held up his drawing hand as, like, you guys need to realize that this. And for those that are, like are listening, because this isn't a visual podcast, I'm holding up my right hand. <laughs> <laughs> this has a shelf life. I know that it has a shelf life. I'm not gonna overwork myself overnight to work on something. I need to pick and choose when I work myself because I can't work myself for every single shot, every single sequence, because I need to make sure I extend the shelf life of this hand as long as possible if I want to keep working in this industry. Because if you keep going so so hard so young and so fast, you're shortening the shelf life of your hand. I was like, damn.
0: It's true. We're mm-hmm. organic creatures. We are not robots. Unfortunately, um, not
1: Bionicles.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not a freaking Bionicle. <laughs> huge, huge, unfortunately. but,
2: but um, Grave oversight of whoever I know. built us.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. <sighs> oh my God, I could have been a Toa. Are you kidding me? You know, I have, like, obviously, I have so many underlying health conditions, but even my friends who are, like, tip-top shape, so healthy, so fit a lot of them, their, their body just like disintegrated. Now they have so many like stomach issues because they stay up so late and like acid reflux, you know, and it knocks them out for a day and, and, um, just like awful things like that. So, you know, just take care of yourself. I know it's so hard to like wrap your head around that, but like it can happen to the, like the best of us, you know, where Mm -hmm. you just, you just lose everything. And then you have to sit there and be like, I can never do what I love ever again it's going to be a bigger heartbreak than if you miss a deadline. Trust me. Yes, So, <laughs>
2: yes. so, <laughs> so yeah. it will. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's perfect advice. I and mean, I wish this podcast could go forever, but <laughs> uh, we are wrap up. So thank you so much for joining us today. Marie, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to plug at this time? All right. So you can find
0: me on Twitter, on Instagram at Pucanoodles, P-U-C-C-A. N O O D L E S, Puka Noodles. Think about the old cartoon on Jetix. Um, that's Puka. And Puka. so. Puka.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That
0: is the best show ever. I guess any other plug? Check out Signing Animation. Just mm-hmm. Google that. They're a really awesome studio. Go get your first aid and CPR AED certification, please. Learn how to save some lives very very important and support St. Jude's Children's Hospital and that's it yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's awesome yeah <laughs> thank you <It's> really <laughs> well if you enjoyed our interview with Marie today please rate us on Anchor Spotify or wherever you tune in follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Straight Ahead AP and let us know your response to today's in between questions or if you have future in between questions, uh, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer,
1: Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.